This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immune, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the day And here we go, unfurling the flag for Sunday, May the 9th. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. We've got an action-packed uh, program for you tonight. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a, um, a regular uh, on the program. Paranormal investigator extraordinaire is going to be with us to count down her top five most haunted places in the United States. And uh, Nils Hamron, another good friend of the show, uh, the author of The Seal of the End Times, he's been studying end times prophecy for nearly 60 years. Hard to believe, but true. And uh, he's going to talk about uh, the uh, the healing waters or the living waters, which are mentioned in the uh, the Bible, uh, he says that the the uh, the waters that are prophesied to uh, flow out of the temple, the third temple in Jerusalem, and heal the world uh, after the uh, the tribulation, uh, those waters are here now. They've been secretly developed in an underground laboratory, and uh, they have miraculous uh, uh, qualities. He'll be here to talk uh, talk about uh, uh, these waters that he calls TriMed. And uh, up first, however, is uh, yet another regular contributor to the show, although it's been a while since uh, we've heard from Joel Skousen. He's a political scientist by training, specializing in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory. He served as a fighter pilot for the U.S. Marine Corps during the Vietnam era. And during the 80s, he served as the chairman of the Conservative National Committee in Washington, D.C., and concurrently served as the executive editor of Conservative Digest. He's the editor of The World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service dedicated to providing an understanding of the hidden agendas behind the actions of world leaders. 
It's available as a weekly email newsletter or in a monthly print edition. Hey, Joel, how are you? I'm just fine, Richard. It's so nice to be with you again. You know, we were we were talking off the air briefly, and uh, I asked you how, how things were going, and, and you said, you know, uh, it's one of the sad truths of the business, but the worse things get out there, the more uh, trouble that's brewing, the busier uh, people like you are that, you know, that... Uh, uh, you know, write commentaries and and uh, and, and do radio commentaries on uh, on the fate of the world. That's right. Especially since the uh, subtitle of my World Affairs Brief is Commentary and Insights on a Troubled World. Let's talk about last week's uh, uh, failed car bombing in um, in Times Square in New York City, and. Uh, the Pakistani uh, Taliban are claiming credit for this, but uh, knowing you, Joel, as I do, and your incredible insights, I'm guessing there's far more to this story than we're being told by the mainstream media. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, this reminds me of the shoe bomber. You know, you're supposed to have a professional al-Qaeda terrorist prepared to take down an airliner with explosives in a shoe, and he tries to light it with a match. I mean, anyone in the Marine Corps or the Army who's worked with any kinds of explosives know that these things don't light off with a match. It's just ridiculous. And here, this car bombing, this is, this is an amateur job. Uh, this is, you know, for someone to take credit for this means that they're put up to this. Uh, I mean, here you have a bunch of miscellaneous propane tanks and gasoline and a little bit of gunpowder. The thing goes off, and it doesn't even... It exploded outside of the car. I mean, this is not a credible car bombing. This is absolutely not a credible. I'm not believing uh, the Taliban responsible for this, and, and who's ever claiming responsibility. You know, it reminds me of the World Affairs Brief about uh, three or four weeks ago, where we talked about the, um, you know, the series of Russian uh, bombings with have been KGB operations, every one of them blaming them on the, the, the Chechens. Uh, we have to be very, very skeptical of these things, because we know that, uh, you know, uh, real live uh, terrorists uh, have the latest technology and remote controlled uh, uh, explosives. Uh, they can set off IEDs, they, you know, and it's very, fairly high tech, this stuff, uh, not the kind of stuff we saw in Times Square. So, uh, Joel, if uh, you were um, a betting man, are you su- would you bet that this was a false, uh, a false terror operation? It's hard to say at this time. Uh, certainly, the government will take advantage of it, as they do. You know, false flag terror operations are meant so that it gives the government an excuse to clamp down or to restrict civil liberties or uh, in, invokes new draconian security measure on the country, and people just lay down and accept it. Um, this is, uh, you know, if they wanted to do that, they would have probably set off a real bomb and killed a few people. I mean, these people are ruthless, don't care what they do in terms of civilians. Uh, uh, but uh, this looks like an amateur job, and frankly, they'll piggyback on it, they'll take it if it's given to them, and they'll say, oh, we've got to have all kinds of new security measures. No telling what you would uh, imagine they would do with Homeland Security to try to secure the streets. I mean, literally, you cannot protect in a state like America, uh, New York, Manhattan, you just can't protect against someone driving up a car full of explosives and setting it off in the street. It just you can't protect against that. Well, if it if it was the uh, the Pakistani Taliban, uh, perhaps uh, I don't know, trying to to coax the uh, the United States into uh, 
I don't know, some sort of uh, action in Pakistan. I mean, Pakistan is coming apart at the seams, as you point out in, in World Affairs Brief. They're fighting three wars. Uh, you know, they've got uh, China, Russia breathing down their back. They've got uh, uh, all of this in, internal strife and these, uh, these secessionist movements in various uh, provinces. It, it, could that be behind it, that, the, uh, that in fact it was the Pakistani Taliban and they're, I don't know, they're, they're trying to lure the United States into, uh, into that mess over there? Well, I just don't know, first of all, uh, what they gain by setting off a bomb in, in, in New York City. I mean, this, this is what smells about this operation. Uh, it's one thing for the Palestinians, for example, to be setting off terror strikes in, uh, uh, in the heart of Israel, Tel Aviv, or in Jerusalem, as that happens regularly on buses and things. Uh, but what do you gain? That's what you have to ask the question. What does the Taliban gain by setting off in New York? I mean, uh, the U.S. is already involved covertly, overtly, uh, you know, predator drones. They've got the full range of war there, um, and it's very unpopular in the United States. If anything, it does just the opposite of what the I mean, it makes the war, it gets the American people behind it, if the Taliban are presumed it. And so to that extent, it looks like it would be in the U.S. favor to set off a bomb and blame it on the Taliban or have the Taliban you know, uh, claim credit for it, uh, because uh, the war is very unpopular, and it's going to get more unpopular here in the United States. So I don't see this as uh, the Taliban having anything to gain by setting off a terrorist attack, killing an innocent civilians in New York City. Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, and we'll tell you how to subscribe in a few, few moments uh, here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Speaking of Pakistan, and, and uh, again, World Affairs Brief uh, article uh, this week, uh, talking about all of the um, the uh, the secessionist movements going on in inside Pakistan, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, you've got uh, the uh, the ascent of, of China, uh, Russia's economic recovery, China and Russia seeming to get together with some Central Asian republics. This, I, I'm guessing, is putting some some tremendous uh, uh, strains on 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 Pakistan. Uh, is in fact that what the war in Afghanistan then is all about? It's not about. Uh, I mean, we're told it's about uh, you know keeping a lid on uh, on, uh, on on terrorism and keep and and these are where the terrorist camps are located. And so, in order to protect our shores here, we've got to fight them over there. But isn't in fact the war in Afghanistan really about what's going on in Pakistan and keeping that nuclear state somewhat stabilized? Well, uh, it's very, very convoluted, very complex, Richard, and let me try and see if I can un unravel a little bit. There's, a mult there's multiple motives for being in the Middle East. Um, at some of the more mundane motives, uh, you know, there is the, uh, the oil motive, uh, which there still exists in Pakistan. There's also the drug motive. Uh, the U.S. Uh, essentially captured the Afghan drug pipeline it out of the hands of the KGB, which was using it for its purposes, and now own it themselves, and that's why the U.S. has not been uh, clamping down on that. They're still trying to get this pipeline through. They've got approval to start building that thing. That was one of the major reasons, I think, why they wouldn't do uh, Afghanistan in the first place and took it away from the Taliban. But in the larger geopolitical uh, scene, we've got to look at this thing much, much bigger. 
in terms of uh, the rise of China and Russia as co-predators, it's still intending to strike the West. And um, the West is, in fact, uh, you know, been covering for that strike and covering for that Germany. They want it because it drives the West towards the New World Order if we get attacked. They will use war in the same way that they've used terrorism to get Americans to uh, to back falsely with the appearance of a foreign attack when it's a false flag attack. Well, this we can look at as a is a much larger false flag operation. Both Iraq, Afghanistan, our involvement in Israel—all of these are potential flashpoints or constant irritations in the Muslim world, which continue to generate hatred toward the United States. Uh, and uh, and that's essentially all that we have accomplished. We haven't stabilized any of these countries. Iraq, for example, is as corrupt as it ever was. Uh, Afghanistan is as corrupt as it ever was. The drug trade is still a problem. The Taliban are still alive. And uh, I mean, what have we accomplished there, Richard, at all? Nothing except to foment a globalist agenda to one make the Americans out to be the bully of the world, which they are certainly acting the part, to hand an excuse to Russia and China on a silver platter to eventually intervene. And believe me, they are working overtime uh, to intervene uh, uh, in these states to uh, to set them up for future. For example, uh, Russia is continuing to give nuclear uh, technology to uh, uh, to Iran. Iran is acting in the most blustery manner, which is just suicidal, knowing that the West is dying for an excuse to attack them. Uh, uh, China, of course, uh, is very much involved in Iran because that's where a large portion of its oil and gas supply comes from, and they're more and more looking to Iran to supply those, so that's why China has not been willing to go uh, in there. But, you know, um, what I see in Pakistan happening, you know, Pakistan used to be a client state of China, just as India was a, a client state of Russia. Now the U.S. has tried to buy their way into India, India is still playing both the Russians and the United States, getting all that they can get because they know that the big enemy is China. China still is trying to uh, to retrieve their influence in Pakistan, but that's one of the reasons why the U.S. is so deeply involved, is to cut off Chinese influence in Pakistan. Uh, the trouble is you've got a huge puppet um, government in Pakistan, which is completely controlled by CAA, black operations, uh, first through the ISI and then through the Pakistani military. Now they've got puppet governments, one after another, was Zadari, in other words. And they're fighting the Taliban, and the Taliban are the crook in, uh, in, in the soup there. Uh, they're the ones that are really messing up the, our uh, ability. Um, you know, Al-Qaeda is a myth. Uh, it exists because it is, frankly, I will say this openly, it's a CIA operation at its highest level. The number of al-Qaeda actual fighters is probably less than 200, including both Iraq and Afghanistan. But they're very effective. They have access because of being CIA black operations. They can produce IED and terrorist attacks at will because this is what keeps fomenting the conflict. The Taliban legitimately are hating the Afghan government, hating the Pakistani government, and hating the United States. And, uh, you know, even though I'm not... Uh, pro their Sharia law and the way that they run Russia out over the civil rights of people in there. They are the only legitimate fighting force in the entire area, which is fighting for their own interest. The Pakistanis, in fact, are fighting as puppets of the United States. The Afghanis are fighting as puppets of the United States and just basically soaking us 
for money. And what is it doing in that? Well, uh, you know, we're continuing to maintain a presence because the focus, frankly, is not just on... Uh, this is a myth that we're securing the arms and, and the nuclear weapons. Uh, we have those secured. Uh, the people who are in charge of those, you know, literally the United States controls the puppet government. Of, uh, it isn't to say that there isn't danger of Pakistan having civil war and being overthrown by the influence of fundamentalists and the Taliban, which are very strong, uh, especially in the border uh, regions. But I don't see us winning that war at all. I don't see that as being the threat. What I see is this whole thing coming into one explosive Middle East war when Iran is finally attacked. And there has been um, a major leak coming out of, um, of Britain uh, the past uh, three weeks about a person who uh, got involved in a meeting, and I'm going to be doing an article in the World Affairs Brief analyzing this. He didn't get it all right, but he essentially, ended up in a meeting, a series of meetings they had among the city of London, among the big higher-ups, of which he is one, and they ended up having a lot of people come in who assumed that everyone in the meeting knew about the New World Order conspiracy to create war and discontent around the world. And they started talking openly about the Iran conflict and how dissatisfied they are and how Israel is slow to attack Iran and start this war and how they intend, how, uh, uh, you know, they believe that China has uh, and Russia have given uh, some tactical nuclear weapons uh, to Iran that, in fact, after Israel strikes, they're going to... Uh, Iran is going to be induced to use some of those tactical nuclear weapons. That's going to get the genie out of the bottle and allow, uh, you know, major conflagrations or conflagrations to begin in the world, uh, starting with a big Middle Eastern war in Iran. Uh, so there's a lot that could potentially coming, especially with the third aircraft carrier group, uh, the United States arriving, arising in Iran. Uh, this could very well be, we could be uh, just a month or so away from a strike of Iran by Israel, followed by retaliation against Israel and U.S. troops and a full-scale war in the Middle East. All right, we'll take a time out, come back. Joel Skousen is with us, editor of World Affairs Brief, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides... You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Joel Skousen is with us, editor of World Affairs Brief. Joel, uh, how do people subscribe to World Affairs Brief? The World Affairs Brief has a modest subscription rate. It's $48 a year, and that's prorated. Everyone renews in December, so people can subscribe right now for $32 for the rest of the year. And they also get access to all the archives back issues when they do that, so it's a very good deal. Um, they can get, if they want to uh, get a free sample copy of what's in the World Affairs Brief and a little bit about my analysis, they can email me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. That's editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. And if they forget about that, or forget that, they can go to the website and on the synopsis of the current brief it tells them at the end how to get a free sample copy. Lots of free stuff on the website as well. We post all of the top stories in the news each day uh, so that you don't, you get the ones with the least disinformation in them. Uh, and of course, uh, I provide uh, input that isn't in any of the mainstream news um, at uh, each Friday when I send out the World Affairs Brief. Uh, obviously, uh, oil remains at the root of um, 
a lot of the uh, the the skirmishes around the world. Uh, you know, wherever there's an outbreak of, uh, of violence, you can always find some resource there. But uh, speaking of oil and this whole um, catastrophe off the co- off of uh, the coast of Louisiana and the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, what do you think is is really at at, at work there with uh, this? Horrible uh, oil spill, this oil rig, and this oil slick that's that's threatening uh, Louisiana's uh, wetlands is 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 this a manipulated uh, situation uh, in order to somehow affect the uh, the price of oil? Well, I'm very suspicious that it has a multiple series of, of ulterior motives or potential ulterior motives. I haven't got any proof of this right now, but it seems. Richard, extremely suspicious that you haven't had a breakout like this in decades in the Gulf. And all of a sudden, when Obama mentions he's going to open up Gulf oil to drilling, and all of a sudden you have a once-in-a-lifetime type of break-loose uh, you know, spill, um, and, and, and this highly sophisticated valve down right on the seafloor isn't working. I mean, what's going on? Has this been sabotaged? Was this, you know, was there explosives set down there to set this thing off? Uh, no one's come up with a, a good explanation of how this thing happened yet. Uh, they're talking about taking months. Uh, I mean, this just seems incredible when you've got that many drilling rigs out there. That don't have any. I mean, you theoretically have this big balloon-type cap system that you can lower down over there. It's a very good system. You can trap all the oil coming out, and you can attach a pipe to it and funnel it right into a ship. They should have had a dozen of those things ready, you know, years ago. They've known about this technology. This all seems very, very suspicious to me that they simply can't stop this. The valve doesn't work. All of a sudden, they have a major breakaway. It hasn't happened for decades. And the timing is extremely suspicious. By the way, you know, this announcement by Obama wasn't a difference to America's strategic need to uh, have more domestic oil. We know that our own government uh, has been purposely keeping oil out of the United States, off the market, preserving our own oil supplies. I think this has strategic implications for a future war, that we're using foreign oil right now, preserving our own internal oil, because when foreign oil is off during a war, we'll have our own oil to tap. I think that's what they've been preparing. You have insiders that have talked about all of the capped oil fields they've got in the Arctic region. How do we explain that the big oil companies, you know, Chevron and Texaco and BP and all those, give millions of dollars to the environmentalists to keep these oil resources tied up? Why would they be giving millions to the environmental organization that stopped this declaration? I think it's because there's a conspiracy to, in fact, keep the oil off the market. And this seems to have done just that, to block. Uh, I was going to tell you why Obama, of course, offered up. This was uh, offered to... You know, as a, a pawn of the environmental lobby, why would it be opening a, a more oil exploration in the Gulf? It's because this was a trade-off to buy votes to pass the climate change, which would have disastrous effects in cost on energy and gasoline and everything else uh, within the United States. And that's how he's going to get it passed, by making a deal with the, oil, with the senators who, who are shilling for the oil interest to, to open up uh, uh, drilling. But it's obviously not meant to be. I don't think it has the chance in hell of passing now that this major catastrophe. But it, it just uh, stinks, Richard, that this would happen at this very crucial moment, and it's 
in an inexplicable way and not being able to shut down. This is just a little too hard to believe. Uh, in other words, this is a, uh, a convenient way out for the administration that had basically signed off on more offshore oil exploration along the eastern seaboard. Uh, as you say, this was just a recent announcement, and then this catastrophe happens. So this is an, an easy way for the administration to say, well, we were going to do it, but now we can't. And then again, you, they, the, the U.S. can continue to, to sit on these reserves uh, and continue to, uh, to be dependent upon uh, uh, foreign oil. Uh, I mean, I, I, I talked to a, um, a gentleman that used to work on the, uh, the, uh, the pipeline. He was a, a pastor. Uh, up in Alaska, and uh, uh, talked about how you know the reserves up there, natural gas uh, and oil, could uh, serve the continental United States for the next sixty, seventy years, uh, but they're not being allowed to bring it to market. And his theory was uh, that uh, back in the seventies, Kissinger uh, basically made a deal with uh, the Saudis uh, that if they buy American debt, we would buy their oil. So if we no longer were buying Saudi oil, the uh, you know the, the the economy in Saudi Arabia would collapse. They hold most a lot or a good portion of the U.S. debt. Uh, the the cost of of um, U.S. In, oil independence could could mean the collapse of the U.S. dollar. No, I really don't believe that theory. I, I you know he does have good inside information about the cutoff of the oil. He's just guessing on what the reasons are. In fact, he still has contact with his insider source, but I, as I've told, said many times on my interviews, anybody who is allowed to leak continually to someone who's out there on the Internet and, and blabbing this stuff to the whole world is being, I mean, this is a, it's got to be disinformation involved with leak because anyone who was leaking and wasn't supposed to would be shut down by now. Uh, so I think he's given the wrong reasons. Nothing's going to collapse the actual dollar. Um, you know, it'll go down slowly through inflation, but uh, there's, you know, there's five times more dollars uh, out there in the world than there are any other currency, and so it's just the big 800-pound gorilla on the block. Even the $3 trillion that the Fed inflated in this bailout thing only ended up being 1.5% inflation on the total the total stock of US dollars world, worldwide that's not hyperinflation you know you can't devalue a currency that isn't pegged to another currency so all of these theories about you know, it's it can only go down slowly and it certainly will go down slowly but you know interesting enough the euro is falling now and pound is just in a disastrous mode uh, why because they're all fiat currencies and they're all spending and and, and uh, printing money with abandon and so the dollar looks relatively stable, but it's because they're all fiat government, uh, you know, funds that are basically insolvent, and that's how they're, uh, you know, getting out of these bailouts. The Greece problem is just a nightmare uh, waiting, uh, you know, in the midst of happening. Well, I wanted to talk to you about Greece. Uh, I happen to be married to a, uh, a lovely Greek gal. I call her the mighty Aphrodite. And uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, our family uh, are paying a great deal of attention to, to, to what's go going on over there. We, we, we have family uh, over there. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, in, in Greece, there's been a, a great deal of sort of lavish uh, spending. You've got uh, in the civil service, they can retire with full pensions at the age of, I think, around 56 or 57 compared to in Germany. It's like 67. Uh, but to what extent do you think the situation in Greece has perhaps been orchestrated? 
Well, it's hard. I think that the the major collapse of the, uh, the economy or the speculative economy in the U.S. was orchestrated as well to get these powerful new uh, regulations involved, which, you know, as I pointed out in the World Affairs Brief, aren't aimed at the big banks that they say they are. They're aimed at the little guy. And the, the fine print in this stuff is just very, very obvious. And so it might well have been orchestrated. Look, it's no secret. Everybody knew that Greece was a, a massive welfare state, that a communist or semi-communist government since Papandreou started, and it's just socialism personified around there. I mean, uh, uh, so this was no... Uh, the point is that they were making all kinds of deals that the EU said, now you've made secret debts, and you've lied to us about the state of your debt. But, you know, who were they making the deals with? With German banks and with French banks? So how do you keep that a secret? You know, I'm just not buying this. The point is that bailouts are illegal under EU uh, treaties, and uh, yet they have found the, the sleight-of-hand language in order to do so. And they've had to create a crisis that looks like it's mushrooming, that there's too big to fail countries. We're talking about you know, dominoes falling, not only Ireland and Iceland, but Portugal and Spain and even Italy we're talking about now. Uh, these guys have been inflating through debt because, you know, inflation under the EU monetary union is very carefully controlled to about 3.5%. But so it had to do it with debt and with secret debt, and that's what Greece is all about. Could it be the end of the EU, Joel? Could this spell the end of the EU? Ah, absolutely, uh, in the sense that that's what legally should happen, is that they should have to divest uh, Greece of its membership and then Poland and then Spain. They're not going to do that. Look, this is the showcase of globalism, is the EU, and they're not going to let it fall. They will bail it out, and that's what's happening. I predicted that a month ago, and it's coming to pass. Joel Skousen, editor of uh, World Affairs Brief. Joel, uh, I, I don't think it was uh, mentioned in this week's World Affairs Brief, but uh, I wanted to, because uh, you and I haven't talked in a while, and I wanted to get your take on um, the uh, the death of the Polish president, uh, Lech Kaczynski. And, of course, right. this video that it's been uh, um, uh, swirling around, supposedly taken by somebody on the ground in the uh, the Russian woods where the uh, the plane crashed, uh, about three weeks ago, and in the uh, the video, uh, y- we hear three uh, gunshots, and uh, so allegedly the the idea is here that an assassination team descended on the uh, the plane wreckage and finished off the survivors, presumably the uh, the Polish president being one of them, and now we're hearing stories that the person who shot that uh, amateur video has himself been murdered. Uh, what do you know, what do you hear about that? Yeah, I think it's true. Um, this this is the same thing that happened to Ron Brown, you know, the, uh, one of the ministers in the administration of Bill Clinton who was decapitated, you know, in an uh, airplane that was led by a beacon, based by black operations on a mountain in, in the Balkans uh, when he flew in there on a trade mission. And he was executed. Uh, his uh, autopsy actually showed a 45 slug in the, you know, in a hole through the skull. It wasn't an airplane accident at all through which he died. This was a commerce secretary that was about to uh, right. to blow the whistle on the Clintons. That's correct. And uh, he was taken out, and just like Vince Foster was. I think the Russians decapitated. The, the telltale remark is that within the day of the crash, the Russians said there was absolutely no mechanical failure. Now, you can't know that, Richard. Right. You can't make that statement right. without months of investigation. For them to come out and state, mean they're covering for something. And, uh, you know, how ironic. You had the catching forest, 
you know, massacre of these Polish officers, and then they're coming back for a celebration or a memorial of the same thing, and they, the whole Polish government gets decapitated. Once again, the timing is so suspicious here, uh, Richard, and the excuse, you know, happening on Russia, and uh, you, know, you don't let anybody in to see any of the records, you don't let anybody see any of the bodies, it's all covered up officially, and now you have this, uh, you know, video and the witness testimony about shots being heard, and I, that's good stuff. I mean, people don't make that kind of stuff up. Well, one of the things that I'm hearing is that... Um uh, uh, Poland uh, recently just signed this, uh, in fact, I think it was in the wake of the president's death, they signed this huge uh, energy deal with Russia that will, that will make Poland entirely dependent upon Russian oil until 2037, despite the fact that Poland has its own recently discovered uh, oil reserves and that the, the, the president, the late Lech Kaczynski, was opposed to this. So, could that have been the motive for taking him out? It could have been one of the motives, but the other major motive was the f- that we've got to remember that the Polish, uh, the, the Russians have always been able to get elected phony anti-communists, uh, you know, starting with, um, uh, you know, Solidarity uh, Lekwalenza. I mean, here was the man who was known in Poland to have been a Russian agent. He's been exposed as a Soviet agent, even while he was running Solidarity. And same thing with Václav Havel, who was the great so-called libertarian champion of the Czech Republic. These people were Soviet agents all the time. So I think that they've been able to control the elections, but occasionally they get away from them. I think that Kaczynski was a, uh, an, a- an actual real anti-communist, and so there were other reasons than just the oil deal to decapitate this presidency, and I think that's exactly what happened. Joel, you always come... Uh uh, equipped with information uh, that you're not going to hear anywhere where else, and that's why World Affairs Brief is so vital in these uh, troubling times. Uh, once again, how can people subscribe? They can subscribe by going to the website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and clicking on the subscribe button, and they can get a free sample issue to see if they'd like to subscribe by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, always a pleasure, and uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Richard, as always. Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Coming up next, what do the healing qualities of the miraculous water at Lourdes have to do with the living waters mentioned in Ezekiel in the Bible? We're about to find out when Niels Hammerin joins us to discuss the miraculous healing quality of water. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome back. Just a reminder, a little later in the program, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, will be here to count down the top five haunted locations in the U.S. Right now, however, Niels Hamron has been studying the scriptures for over 50 years He finds fulfillment of end times prophecy in today's headlines. He's the author of Seal of the End Times, a book some 40 years in the making. In the book, Nils reveals the identity of the final Antichrist. In fact, he sustained a number of demonic attacks while writing the book, but he's here tonight to talk about miraculous water. Nils, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Coming in loud and clear. Glad to hear that. Niels, I wanted to mention this uh, documentary I saw that was uh, produced earlier this year. It's called Lords. Uh, And the the filmmaker follows these uh, pilgrims to 
um, to Lourdes, which is in southwestern France. And uh, those not familiar, uh, um, the Virgin Mary supposedly appeared. Uh, there was a number of apparitions of the Virgin Mary, something like 18 um, uh, times there back in the uh, the mid-19th century. And since then, all of these miraculous healings have supposedly taken place. And today, something like five million pilgrims, many of them Roman Catholic, but not all, uh, flock to, uh, uh, to Lourdes. And uh, in the documentary, uh, she follows some of these pilgrims. One of them is a woman with multiple sclerosis confined to a wheelchair. I won't give everything away, but uh, there's some pretty inexplicable uh, occurrences in the film. And um, I, I just wanted to get your take on uh, on not only Lourdes, but but uh, the healing properties of water, because I've talked about that on the air a little bit with people like Dr. John Apsley. Uh, first of all, what, what's your take on, uh, on um, what's going on in Lourdes? I, I love stories like people telling, uh, you know, their visits to Lourdes and, and what came of it. Uh, people are not always healed when they're there, but often they're healed after they have been there. And the healing is often very quick. And uh, one of the things that I found out through my own research over many years about uh, real, absolute divine healings, which is what Lourdes does, um, involves healing with heat. In other words, if a person has a deformed hand, let's say, that was crushed in an accident, and uh, he went to Lourdes and he wanted healing, and nothing happened. Uh, the person, of course, goes home a little bit discouraged, but maybe two weeks later he's sleeping, and he wakes up and he feels that there's a discomfort in his hand, and he looks at the hand under his nightlight, and it's all uh, red and uh, swollen up. And actually, if he touches it, he's going to find out it's very hot. And uh, in a few seconds, it begins to recede, the heat goes away, and the hand is normal. Those are the normal things that happen with the divine healing. There is heat involved, there's swelling involved, and the reason I say that is because that has happened also with the living water, which we deal with every day. And uh, this is something that is, uh, to us, it's, it's wonderful to hear about it when it happens. You, well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned oh, I, I go back to, Don, to uh, Dr. John Apsley for a moment, because one of the things that he... he uh, he talked about it was a case of a woman, uh, I believe, who had cancer. She was on a, a train uh, to a lord. She had to be assisted from the train. Uh, she was uh, near death. She was literally on her last legs. Uh, they had to literally carry her over to the, I guess, the grotto, and uh, um, I guess dipped an appendage in or however it's done, sprinkled on her her, her face. I'm not sure, but uh, it was almost an instantaneous uh, healing. So I guess. It can happen that way too. But you just mentioned the the living waters. Now, for those people not familiar with with the living waters, because uh, it is mentioned in the Bible, um, what are the living waters? The living waters really should not be here at this point in time. And the fact that they are here is a blessing of unparalleled. Um, I, I just don't know how to describe it because I am a student of the Bible for the last 50 or 60 years. And one of the things that is spoken of in about four places in the Bible is living water. And everybody wants to know what on earth is living water. What is the passage from is it Zechariah or uh, Ezekiel? Well, the, the biggest uh, readout on living water would be found in Ezekiel, the uh, almost the whole chapter of uh, 47 
the 47th chapter, deals with living water flowing from the Temple Mount, going out to the Kidron Valley, and from there reaching the Red Sea and eventually reaching the oceans. And when is this supposed to happen? This is supposed to happen while Jesus is on the throne in the temple uh, in the kingdom time. So after, in the sec- after the second coming? After the second coming. Now the am- amazing thing is that living water, of course, is just water that apparently is alive. And you say to yourself, how can water be alive? Well, the amazing thing is that, uh, yes, water can be alive and it can be seen in a microscope. It can even possess intelligence uh, that is, let's say, higher than human. Well, I do believe it. It, it does uh, have an intelligence, uh, Nils. Let me remind listeners, Nils Hamron on the line from New Jersey, uh, the uh, author of Seal of the End Times, a biblical scholar, and has been studying specifically end times prophecy for over 50 years. Uh, but uh, uh, I believe it's the, uh, the work of a Japanese researcher, uh, I'm trying to think of it. I believe it's Emoto is his name. And uh, he uh, would, uh, would freeze water crystals and uh, would have, uh, let's say, one slide containing uh, water crystal A and another one water crystal B. He would, uh, let's say, for example, um, say a prayer over water, the slide containing water crystal A. It would be a very uplifting, positive message he would uh, impart. Uh, and then on over uh, water crystal slide B, there would be a very negative uh, um, uh, message uttered or, or um, meditated over the slide. And when he looked at the two under the microscope, the water crystal A had this beautiful um, symmetry. It was just so complex and involved and absolutely beautiful. And the, the slide with, containing the water crystal over which the negative messages were, were imparted was distorted and, and, and ugly. And then he went further. I mean, he experimented with music uh, when he played classical music to water crystals. Again, they were beautifully formed. And when he played heavy metal music, these crystals were water crystals horribly disfigured. So I believe, yeah, I believe water, water is alive and, and has an intelligence. Water does play a tremendous part. You have to think, you know, about our own blood in our bodies, which is considered um, very, very important in the Bible, especially with prophecy and especially with the uh, blood from uh, Christ himself. Uh, His blood was claimed to be incorruptible, and it was approximately 95% uh, water, of course, just like our blood. But his blood lacked uh, male chromosomes. That would be the major difference. Uh, But his blood is incorruptible because some samples of it have been located, and they have been tested in a lab. And in order to test blood from, let's say, a dead person, you have to reconstitute the blood. And you would think that after 2,000 years, you could not reconstitute the blood. But in the name of, um, uh, you know, being... uh, clear and and full in this report uh, to the people right now, I have to claim that the the people in the lab were actually atheists, and they were astonished to see that the blood of Jesus uh, reconstituted and was testable with their equipment. Uh, Was this blood sample taken from the Shroud of Turin? No, it was taken uh, from a crack in a rock that was below the cross where Christ died. 
the blood dripped down from the uh, the cross, obviously from his uh, stigmata wounds, and drip dripped down in, in between this crack uh, below the uh, below the cross. Yes, and it actually eventually wound up on the Ark of the Covenant, which was buried directly beneath. It was directly beneath the distance of about 22, 23 feet below the bottom of the cross. The cross was in a square hole in a rock, but when that earthquake occurred upon Christ's death, the rock split exactly where the cross was embedded in that, uh, in that rock. And that rock split so that blood could run from the bottom of the uh, hole dug for that, uh, that cross. It could run down and actually hit the ark, which was in, uh, in a uh, hidden position below. And uh, obviously fulfilling prophecy, uh, Christ being the, the sacrificial lamb, the blood dripping onto the mercy seat, right. uh, and, and really putting an end, to, uh, an end forever, that covenant which, we, which required the sacrifice of, of, of uh, pure white lambs. That's uh, exactly right. Interesting. Well, so the blood of Christ incorruptible, but how, how does that relate to the living waters? Let's come back to that. We'll uh, take a time out, Nils, okay. and uh, continue to discuss uh, healing waters, the living waters, uh, the healing waters of Lourdes, and, and much more here on The Conspiracy Show. Nils Hamron, my guest. Don't go away. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And we're back with uh, Nils Hammerin from End Times Press down in Somerville, New Jersey. And uh, Nils, we were talking about uh, how they were able to reconstitute a sample of what is believed to be Christ's blood yeah. uh, in a lab. Uh, but how does that relate to the the living waters that are prophesied in uh, in the Bible, and also, for example, the healing waters of Lourdes? It is just really, it's not connected, but it is a very uh, clear indication how God works. It seems that if he decided to use tar or macadam to heal people, uh, that's how it would happen. If he decides to use water, that's how it's going to be, because his word uh, is, cannot be changed. In other words, if he gives his honor, his, his word on something, it's unchangeable. And even the language that angels speak in is called the pure language, because using that language, the person using it cannot lie. It is not possible. Hmm. So you have these things where when God says something or he does something, um, you just have to, at this point in time, mentally accept it, because it's something that may not appear logical to us, but we're limited. We don't have the capacity, and we don't have the authority that God has. Uh, gravity, for instance, is a clear example of his word. He says that this uh, particle over here is attracted to another particle millions and millions of miles away and the two particles are just atomic size. How is this possible? Right, that's, uh, that's entanglement theory. That's quantum physics that we're yes, uh, talking and, and about. And yeah. The thing right there is just accepted because when God says that these things must attract each other, they obey the law. It's a spirit law. Uh, you can measure it, uh, let's say, mathematically, but you can't change it. You can't do anything with it. The temperature of the particles 
the distance of the particles, all these things mean nothing. And I want to get back to something that you said uh, near the beginning of the interview, and when I asked you originally about the living waters that are that are talked about in in the book of Ezekiel, uh, you you said that it's it's miraculous that these waters are here today, and you're not quite sure why. What do you mean those living waters are here today? They uh, this is something that is almost uh, impossible to believe. Uh, when Jesus was here, he would reach out his hand and heal somebody. Somebody would touch his robe, and they would be healed, even with no words exchanged. It was as though around Jesus there was an aura that was a separate intelligence that took care of these things automatically. Um, living water is mentioned in the Bible as the agency which will cure the entire earth upon the return of Jesus. There is no other things stated in the Bible that say that Jesus will go out and he will try to clear up certain cities that are in, laying in ruins, or he will try to stop a plague of uh, plants and flowers and food that is growing in the United States. He will not do that. What will happen is from the uh, mercy seat, from the actual altar in the uh, future temple, a flow of water will occur, and it will go out of the southern side of the temple, flow across the uh, Temple Mount, fall down the hillside into the Kidron Valley, and from there proceed to the Red Sea. As it goes, as it flows, as in stated in uh, Ezekiel, the increase of the flow is automatic. The further it goes, the deeper the flow is and the more of the volume. So the volume is increasing out of nothing. Okay, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to envelop the entire earth and, and all maladies, spiritual, physical, and otherwise, will be, will be um, uh, healed. But, but you said that, that these waters are that here is, today. What do you mean? That is correct. You've you seen them? You say to yourself, you know, Jesus is not here. The third temple is not even built. How come I'm saying that water is here now? And we're not talking about lords here, because there's something else going on there, correct? There is something else going on, and this occurred in one of the most secret labs in the world. It occurred uh, underground, 200 feet underground, in one of the most advanced labs, with clearances far higher than, than uh, you know, top clearance or top secret. The clearances in that uh, lab are even well above, let's say, the President of the United States. And in that lab, on Christmas morning at 5 o'clock in the morning in 1990, a pure, clear liquid that looked exactly like water appeared in a machine that was even above top secret. And that water was not supposed to be there because that machine had a specific purpose and a, a specific design. And... Uh, it, it was able to do things that uh, are almost incomprehensible. But let us say that this machine could produce a compound which normally could not be reproduced anywhere else. And that is exactly what happened. Water appeared in this machine without being asked to produce this water. The water was tested later on, and it had a different specific gravity than actual water. It also had other properties, but uh, mainly uh, it was a mystery to the scientists that were working there. Well, what was this machine initially intended to do? 
if it wasn't intended to produce this uh, water, what was it intended to do? Do we know? Well, I have to say this. I was cleared for a secret when I was working for NASA in 1958. And uh, under that clearance, you know, I began to find out I was cleared by the FBI, so I do have an FBI file. Um, I have to be careful what I say about things like this machine because um, it is for the safety of the United States. And um, the machine is uh, capable of doing things that are almost incomprehensible. Um, All I can say is that that is the source the original source of the medicine and its design. So this was an ancillary um, 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 a benefit or a product, it, this, this, um, this healing water, if that's where we're going with this, from and this machine. It was similar to something happening at Lourdes. Let's say you went to Lourdes <clears throat> and you had a bad leg and you were healed instantly as soon as you had water thrown on your leg. Um, you would know in your own heart and in your own mind that nothing like this could possibly happen unless an angel was nearby or uh, the Holy Spirit was present and was doing something to you to help you. Well, this this uh, scientist, and I'm, I'm guessing we're talking about a Defense Department, U.S. Defense Department uh, project here. Yes. Um, I mean, what happened to this uh, this miraculous water? once they discovered the machine was somehow producing it? What did they do with it? Did they put a lid on it? Did they um, get it out to the public? What, what happened to it? They would have put a lid on it temporarily simply because they would have no idea what it was or what it was for. I will say this, that power is failing in the building I am in. I just hope it does not knock out our phone. Someone is trying to interrupt this conversation. Yes, perhaps. it would be somebody by the name of Satan. But basically... Um, the living water was accompanied by an angel, at least one angel, so that the scientists were dumbfounded to have an angel in their secret lab. And the angel explained what the uh, water was and what it could do. And they were given the formula so that the machine could reproduce that water at will. But the water by itself was not complete. The water needed one more thing to be complete, and that is the photons coming from the sun. When the medicine, or this water, if you want to call it medicine, is put in sunlight, it is hit by photons from the sunlight, and even under a microscope you can watch the change. The water goes live, and when the water goes live, it is able to do many things. All right, let's discuss what those things are when we come back. Nils Hamron is uh, with us talking about uh, the living waters, or the healing waters, if you will, here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. 
Turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open. And brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right, we're back with Nils Hammerin, End Times Press. So, Nils, this uh, this uh, miraculous water that was developed underground by the Defense Department and accompanied by uh, the appearance of an angel, you said when it was exposed to the photons of the sun, suddenly this water uh, took on these miraculous properties. What sort of properties uh, are we talking about here? What, what sort of miracles? Well, the, the water under the present time, in other words, you asked before, why is this water here now, when it should be coming when Jesus returns? The water is not up to full strength as it will be when Jesus returns. In other words, we're being shown a sign, just like Lord's, that um, the Holy Spirit is real, that miracles are real, and that God is real. And this water is now here because uh, it would be improper in God's mind to withhold its healing abilities uh, years in, in advance when people are in misery. Um, he feels that the thing to do is to limit its uh, effect, but to at least give us uh, the abilities it has now for the time being until Jesus returns. But our, um, our experience over 15 years using this water uh, to help people has been that uh, it is increasing in its uh, abilities to heal and to do things in the human body. Well, how did it get into your hands? It got into my hands through uh, divine intervention. Um, it's hard to talk about things like this on the air and have any credibility. I have to say that uh, my life has been very, very unique. Uh, I have been very close to the Holy Spirit for a long time. Um, things have happened in my life that uh, has, has uh, I guess, you know, affected my brain a little bit because I feel it's almost normal to have divine help or divine people near you or uh, meeting certain people on the spur of the minute is normal, but it's not. It's actually being directed by forces that I uh, have only rarely seen. But when I do see them, of course, I recognize them for what they are. And uh, speaking of those things, you know, um, usually with friends, with neighbors, with uh, relatives of myself, they, they look upon me as being a, a lunatic. <laughs> and, and well, Nils, I, I mean, I've known you probably for close to 17 years now. I'm just trying to do the math. And, uh, I mean, I, granted, you're not uh, your, your, uh, your typical, um, typical 80-year-old uh, retired auto engineer, uh, former NASA employee, but, um, I mean, I, I, I certainly don't think you're a lunatic. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you're talking about... Um, Interventions, angelic interventions, and so forth. But, but just, I mean, so this this healing water came into your 
possession. Now, was it given to you by one of the scientists working at the Defense Department? And what happened to him or her? Okay, well, uh, to make a long story short, I did meet the scientist involved, and it turned out that he was one of their top scientists, and he was working in that lab in two areas. One was the energy grid, which really is atomic. When we talk about atomic bombs and atomic devices, we're talking about the energy grid of the universe. Um, But he discovered something else. He discovered the life grid. And with the life grid, he began to learn things that were uh, little known. And uh, one of the things that I would point out, for instance, would be that uh, photons from the sun, uh, to most scientists, are just light beams. But to him, he knew exactly how um, a photon was built. And he said that a photon had 918 pairs of scrolls uh, in it, and that would make one photon. And he said if you took 918 pairs of photons, you would have one electron. So with all that said, you're wondering, you know, why would a, uh, an electron uh, be made from photons? And he said, well, electrons are not normally uh, all together in this uh, realm. Two uh, percent of electrons at all times connect to another grid, and it happens to be the life grid. That's why no one had ever, uh, you know, quite understood that electrons actually can connect to life and intelligence. All right. So uh, he, you, you somehow met up with his individual, and he shared this uh, technology with you. Uh, I mean, are you now producing these waters yourself, or is, are you getting them directly from him? I get it from a military base in a foreign country under an arrangement that was set up by the scientists many, many years ago. And uh, we work with it. We uh, give it to people. We watch the results. We have thousands of cases of what it can do. And we have found out that it works basically from the DNA in a human person. It will not help an animal or a pet. It must be a human. In other words, it is limited to human repair. I always want to be careful about uh, you know spreading uh, false hope and making any any claims. Uh, you know that um, some of these things uh, you know that come up from time to time on the show uh, are able to to cure or to uh, you know to to um, heal or anything like that. We have to be very careful. Um, but I am intrigued by the, this whole notion that. Uh, well, well, of miracles, quite frankly. Um, so, what are some of the uh, the 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 claims that uh, the that people have, that have used this living water have have? Um, well, we can take one particular case uh, that I remember very clearly because it surprised me. Uh, it was a woman living down in the south, and she had uh, been told by her doctor that she had breast cancer. And uh, a friend of hers in the church uh, told her that we had something that might help her an alternative form of medicine instead of her going for radiation and so forth. And uh, she contacted us, and she bought the medicine. Uh, everything was uh, pretty much normal at that point. She got on the medicine, and uh, something like maybe five days later, she called us, and she complained that she was getting headaches anytime she took this, uh, this water. 
So basically, uh, that had never happened before, and we were surprised at it. But she said, uh, every time I take the, the water, it, it yes, it uh, gives me a pain in my head. So we didn't know what to think. Uh, we thought this could be a new problem, and we just uh, parted, you know, uh, giving her a little bit of advice to uh, maybe back off on the medicine and see what happened. Uh, then she calls us two days later, and she says, you know, it's not pain that I'm getting. It's just like uh, a feeling of things moving in my head. And we said, well, why would that be? And she said, well, when I was a child, I was in a very serious car accident. And I said, uh-oh. And then she said, uh, the whole left side of my brain was badly damaged, and a good part of my skull is missing, uh, and I've had to live with that all my life. And I said, when was that? And she said, 40 years ago. So I said, well, I don't know what's going on. She, she, then she said, well, I don't know either because... I'm not getting pain, but I'm getting a strange feeling exactly where the damage is in the brain. So to make a long story short, two months later, her brain was completely repaired. Her cancer was gone, and she went in a hospital, and that hospital put the medicine or this water into the hands of the children that were in that hospital, some of them to die in the hospital because they had incurable problems and many of them left that should have died in the hospital. So, I mean, if you were to, uh, to analyze this, uh, what do you call this stuff, just living waters? or We call it, uh, for our purposes, just to be quick on the phone with it, we just say TriMed, which is an abbreviation of Trinity Medicine. And, and if it was to be analyzed, uh, it's, just, it's, strictly, it would, it, it's just water, right? H-T-O, H2O. Its specific gravity is different than water. But that wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily show up under an analysis, would it? I mean, yes, it, it would. It, it would, would uh, yeah, because uh, any scientific analysis would show this to be something that is uh, unique and uh, not present on the Earth normally. But in terms of the the actual ingredients, it's just two parts hydrogen, um, one part oxygen. That might be so, but you may have some added protons or neutrons or something like that. Hmm. Uh, there may be other things that can show up as being physically present, but we have to deal with the fact that it is a living water, and living water has a spiritual content, and that spiritual content does not show up in any kind of a physical analysis. Nils Hammerin is with us from End Times Press, uh, talking about these uh, living waters. So, uh, and again, um, not here to uh, to spread um, a false hope in many cases where, where, you know, there may not be hope. Um, I'm just talking about a, an interesting uh, phenomenon here. Now, uh, do you take this stuff? Yes. In fact, I was uh, saved from death by the medicine I was given two years to live in 1994, and I uh, had happened to uh, be told of the medicine um, by a uh, good friend down in Florida, and uh, I developed cancer in 1994, which I had um, really no knowledge of because it just came from nowhere. All of a sudden, I'm in serious trouble, and I, I passed out in a GM plant and there was nobody in the plant at the time. I was almost in there by myself. And if I had stayed uh, unconscious, I probably would have been uh, left in the plant for hours. As it was, 
I got on a bicycle and I pedaled to the front of the plant, which was a half a mile away, and I collapsed as I got to the guard shack, and they called an ambulance. The ambulance came uh, very quickly. I was put in the ambulance. I could not breathe. I, in fact, I was paralyzed. And um, they didn't know what was going on with me. Uh, in the hospital, it took five days to find anything wrong with me. And they said uh, in the end that uh, some scans were showing uh, a lot of cancer scattered in the back, and they had never seen anything like that. It was involving a good part of the back. And they said, you know, we can operate and we can take all this out, but you've got about two years. And uh, that's how it started. And to make a long story short, I... Uh, began looking for the scientist that had found the medicine because I knew his name and I knew where he was. Eventually, I did meet him, and uh, he, he began to uh, help me get treated so that I would be at least out of the cancer. But he was also very interested in religious things at that point, and he and I talked for hours. He was telling me about science. He told me how a UFO works. And he knows, he knows, or he knew things about uh, science that I had never heard. All right, Nils, listen, I'm going to take one time out. We'll come back, and a few more questions remain. Nils Hamron from End Times Press. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Welcome back. Niels Hamron is here from End Times Press talking about the living waters and um, some living water that he uh, that came into his possession. A scientist with the, uh, the U.S. Defense Department discovered this while working on a project uh, deep under the earth. And uh, Niels claims that um, he was saved from um, a cancer. But... Uh, you know, people listening, Nils, you know what they're going to say. They're going to say, here we go, another snake oil salesman. Um, how do we know you're not just, you know, filling up your um, these bottles right out of your tap? And uh, and if this 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 uh, these living waters can do what, what uh, you claim and others claim it can do, why, why isn't this being provided um, uh, or why isn't this being studied, you know, by... Uh, uh, by the medical community. I mean, if this is the cure-all and the be-all and the end-all, it should be made available to all mankind. You know, this is an interesting point because most... Um, I happen to be surrounded by enormous uh, drug companies here in my location in New Jersey. We have uh, just about every uh, large pharmaceutical company right here in New Jersey, uh, just uh, within driving distance of a few minutes, you know, from where I am. And uh, they have tried to get copies or samples of the uh, medicine through uh, normal purchases made by employees and so forth as though they're sick. And then they go to analyze it and find out just what it is and do studies on it. And they find out that they can't do anything with it. They, they can't get an analysis. They can't reproduce uh, it. They can't uh, write a report about what it is. Uh, it's just like they're dealing with just water. And uh, that, to me, is very interesting because basically it just shows that there's a protective shield over this medicine by the Holy Spirit. He is not going to let them do whatever they want to do. So how do you take it? You just drink it? Yes, you uh, put it on a spoon, and uh, the spoon is a certain size. You put that 
into the mouth under the tongue, and you keep it there for about two minutes, and then you swallow it. It has a very pleasant taste, and that's all you do. You have no side effects, and uh, two months later after doing this, you are either free of cancer or your heart's rebuilt or whatever has to be done. Well, that's that's the claim. I mean, I have to be careful. That's that the claim. I have to offer that uh, that caveat. And um, and uh, I mean, would you buy it by the case, or how does it? How does normally, a person would just buy it from us uh, as a uh, kit. Uh, we supply them with measuring equipment, and we the medicine has to be exposed to sunlight in order to complete the assembly. Uh, actually, uh, the way we have it, it's it's not actually active. It, it's just dormant, and it'll stay dormant for as long as 20 years, which is very strange. But uh, once it's brought out into sunlight, even after 10 years, it changes uh, in composition, and then it is ready to work, and uh, it stays that way for about two weeks. And if you don't use it up in that time, it will go back dormant. So uh, anybody that's using this uh, water has to... Put it in sunlight every two weeks at the very minimum. Uh, otherwise, it'll just shut down, and it just becomes pretty much uh, like any other medicine. It, its uh, effect is going to be very limited. Why didn't this make it into a publication? Why hasn't it been peer-reviewed? Why haven't there been... Well, it has. Uh, we have seen things posted on the Internet, um, and it's becoming more common, and people call up, and they've uh, read about us somewhere, and we don't even know what the publication is, but somebody has reported because they used it, and they were healed. So that's how it gets started. But the problem is, once the the demand gets to be too much, uh, we will never be able to supply. So uh, we're limited. So if people want more information, I mean, uh, how, how do they how do they get that? Is it online? They, or they, they could call us. Uh, there is a number we could give out that uh, would answer to that question, and that would be 908-429-1462. They could obtain information at that number and uh, decide on their own if they want to use an alternative like this or go for a conventional treatment. Yeah, I want to be very careful. I don't want to set uh, this radio program up as a, as a platform for, you know, for <laughs> s- the selling of products. But if uh, all we're, in other words, all you're offering is um, people can call you on the phone and you can tell them more about uh, the, the, this, uh, the, these living waters. Yes, and in fact, the person should, in, you know, always wonder about uh, claims made. And I, I've been through this much myself, especially in weight loss programs. Uh, it seems that most of them don't even work. But if, but if they were, if someone was taking uh, this uh, TriMed uh, and they had some horrible disease, they could continue on with their conventional treatment. Absolutely. Uh, and it wouldn't interfere. No. Okay. There's no interference at all. There's the medicine or the living water. Its command is help this person. Are the pharmaceutical companies trying to shut you down? Is the FDA trying no, to shut you down? No, in fact, down? they've been very friendly. To tell you the truth, we have had this lab that uh, found this uh, immune system contacted us and made sure that we had copies of their medicine so that we could test it, and we did test it, and we had excellent results. If Do you have to be a, uh, a believer? Do you have to be a Christian in order for this stuff to work? No, you could be a complete atheist, just a... Uh, you know, it's the same thing with Christ. When people uh, got healing from him, he would tell them, uh, you know, 
do this or do that. They would have to do something before they would be healed. If they didn't do it, they weren't healed. And they would only do it if they actually believed what he said. And, and my, uh, to me, as a student of the Bible, I have always wondered about this thing where Jesus was walking through Jerusalem, and he's approached by a centurion, and the centurion says, my, uh, my servant at home is very ill. Uh, do you think you could heal him? And uh, Jesus says, certainly, just bring me to him. And here's a Roman centurion standing there, and he says, your word will cure him. Yeah, when he was... Uh when he was cozying up to the centurion, that certainly got the uh, the zealots in a bit of a, a tizzy, didn't it? <laughs> it sure did. And then it turned out that the, the servant was healed, and Jesus was never told his name or his location. So again, uh, Nils, if people want more information, and that's it, that's all we're offering, more information on the uh, these healing waters, uh, living waters, what, what, do they, what number do they call you at? Well, a good pl- a number to call. I don't know if they can reach an 800 n- number from um, Canada, uh, there's 800-222-7325, and the other number uh, also comes in the same office, 908-429-1462. All right. Fascinating story, Nils. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Be well. Okay. I hope you get over your cold. Yeah, maybe I'll get uh, some of that TriMed up here, uh, if we can get it across the border, that is. <laughs> I'll have to shoot it up with a rocket. <laughs> All right, my friend. Be well. Nils, ha- Nils Hammer in Times Press. All right, stay with us on The Conspiracy Show. When we come back, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, the Stanley Hotel in Estes, Colorado, and the West Virginia Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia. What do they have in common? Ghosts, my friends. Ghosts. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Hey, it's always great fun to uh, reconnect with old friends, and that's what tonight's show has been all about, really. We're uh, talking with uh, some of my regular contributors over the years. Uh, Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief was with us earlier. Nils Hamron. Uh, from End Times Press. Uh, we just uh, spoke with him. And now, another dear friend of the program, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, is a paranormal investigator and the author of more than 40 books on a wide range of subjects from angels to zombies and everything in between. She has written hundreds of articles for various publications and is a consulting editor for Fate magazine. Rosemary has had numerous experiences from encounters with dark forces to mystical experiences with beings of light, and she's been a believer in the unseen realms since childhood. Rosemary, how are you? Well, I'm uh, busy on the paranormal road, Richard, as always, traveling, interviewing, researching, writing, uh, just been doing some fascinating things in spirit communications and working with my uh, uh, real-time EVP equipment and also delving very deeply into uh, contact experiences of all sorts. You know, people uh, reported encounters with uh, varieties of entities for varieties of purposes and under many different circumstances. I guess I'm looking for patterns and how we have encounters with otherworldly beings. In, in terms of uh, investigating a haunting, 
I mean, you're so busy now. You've written almost what, 42, 43 books, and uh, obviously that takes up a huge amount of time. You, you know, your television work, uh, uh, being bothered uh, by radio hosts like me to get you on the air constantly. <laughs> do you actually have time these days to, uh, to go and do a good old-fashioned uh, ghost hunt? I do. Uh, in fact, uh, I really uh, look for the opportunities to do that because that's how I do a lot of my original uh, field research and um, it, how I also stay connected to, to other uh, paranormal investigators in the field. So uh, I'm constantly testing out my equipment. Uh, you know, you and I have done shows in the past about real-time EVP equipment that seems to enable you to hear real-time communication as opposed to passive, recorded, heard after the fact. That's using Frank's and box, the yeah. Technology, uh, the technology keeps getting better and better, and uh, so I'm always liking to try it out in the field. I just had a spectacular investigation at the Hillview Manor, uh, which is an abandoned nursing home in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. That's not too far out of Pittsburgh. And uh, that was actually broadcast live on the Internet by Terra-X Vision. Uh, and we did live, um, real-time EVP sessions, uh, which went phenomenally well. Because you never know what you're going to get in a haunted place. You exactly. know, sometimes they talk, sometimes they don't. Okay, so tell me about, well, we, we brought you on tonight to talk about your sort of top five haunted locations um, uh, in in uh, the United States, and, and the, the nursing home that you just mentioned near Pittsburgh uh, made the top five. W what is it about? Is it Hills Manor? It's Hillview Manor, Hillview and Manor. I put it in my top five because I was extraordinarily impressed with the uh, variety uh, of uh, haunting activity and the intensity of it at Hillview. And it's also, even though it's an abandoned nursing home, it closed in 2005 and it's 84 years old, it's in very good shape. Um, you know, places don't have to be in shambles to, uh, to be haunted, but it's an easy place to investigate because it's in good condition. But uh, the, the odds of getting uh, quite a range of EVP uh, it's, it's got shadow people activity in it. People see apparitions. Uh, I was uh, impressed with it as uh, a new destination place for paranormal investigators. I can't wait to go back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and we're just running down Rosemary's uh, uh, top five haunted, most haunted places uh, across the United States. And uh, for, for Canadian listeners, I mean, Rosemary's investigations uh, take her to uh, the U.S. and, and uh, sometimes abroad. The U.K. will we'll have to get uh, you up here, Rosemary, and, and investigate some of our haunted locations around here. But back to this nursing home. It stands to reason that a nursing home would be a, uh, a hot spot for ghost activity since that's where people pass uh, a, a, cert, a, a, a sizable uh, percentage of people who spend their last moments in a, uh, there were people yeah. who died there, and, and uh, they were laid out in, in wakes. There were funerals there. There was embalming even uh, done at the funeral home. And also there were some tragic deaths, you know, people who became severely depressed and uh, committed suicide or who had accidents, you know, fell downstairs and, and that sort of thing and were fatally injured. Um, nursing homes, sanatoriums, uh, prisons, um, hospitals, um, mental asylums, 
tend to have intense haunting activity in them. And I think it's, a lot of it has to do with, with the level of, the intense level of unhappy emotions uh, of the people who stay for long periods of time there. It's very sad, but that's the truth of the matter in terms of what makes a good haunted place. This nursing home, is, is this a, uh, how long has it been known as a, as a haunted location, or, or ha- has this recently just come to light, that this is a, a hot spot? Hillview Manor is fairly new on the paranormal scene. It just closed in 2005, so uh, nobody could go and investigate there, really, um, much before that. It's now under private ownership, and uh, people had reported uh, having unusual experiences there, so the people who took it over to manage it um, have uh, done a lot of research, historical research, and their own paranormal investigations to match phenomena to historical fact. And there's quite a record there that we can tie a lot of what people experience paranormally to actual incidents that and people um, that were were on site at at this nursing home. So it's only been in the, in the past few years that, that teams of investigators have been able to go in and do systematic all-night um, investigations. And I think it's going to be quite a popular place. For one thing, investigators like me are always looking for something new to investigate. And when something opens up that is, is very rich in terms of phenomena, well, of course, we all want to be there. Is there a, a particular uh, uh, encounter that you had? You spent the night there, correct? Yes, this was an all-night investigation, and uh, I was there with a number of other investigators. One of the most interesting encounters we had um, was with one of my um, mini-box sessions, and this is a radio sweep device that sets up a noise matrix that it seems to enable spirits to talk, to modulate in order to talk in real time. And we made contact with uh, a man there who, who gave his name as Rob, and um, he seems to have been on the staff there. Uh, he said he took, uh, took care of things, and he correctly identified um, some of the, um, the places in this nursing home and the fact that it had an orchard in the back, and there were even farm animals there at one time. These were things that I had not known. Uh, and um, that he had had, he had died in a fall. Uh, well, there, there was such a, a person who had died in uh, a fall there. And so we don't know for certain whether that's the man who was talking, but it's a very interesting connection. We don't always have the historical data to, um, to validate what we're getting. Now, uh, there was quite a bit of shadow activity on one of the floors. These are dark figures that um, seem to be attracted to haunted places like this. And they don't communicate. They don't seem to want to interact with people. They just sort of lurk around. And um, they are kind of scary because they're big and black, and they move very fast. Now, this uh, uh, Rob individual that... um you uh, were able to to, uh, to communicate with using uh, Frank's box. I, I think that's the technology, correct? Uh, that's right. That's how it's often known as the Frank's box. Now, are you, are, were you able to corroborate, sort of at the scene, who this Rob individual was, or is that done later when you go back home and you get on the Internet or check the records, or how does that happen? 
quite often it's after the fact. But we were very fortunate on this particular investigation at Hillview that one of the members of our group was one of the new managers of the place, Candy Braniff. And uh, she was the one who had done a lot of the uh, historical research of the place. And so she was able to validate things on the spot. For example, he mentioned liking to go out into the orchards. The orchards don't exist now. But she uh, had done the research and knew that at one time there were orchards on the property. So she was able to validate that as, as accurate information. That, must that be, was very simple. Yeah, that must be very exciting when that happens because th- then you've got, uh, you know, a verification. Uh, We'll, we'll take a time out, uh, Rosemary. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll pick up on the other side as we uh, count down Rosemary Ellen Guiley's most haunted locations around the United States. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator. The website is www.visionaryliving.com. And you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. And we're back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, here on The Conspiracy Show, counting down Rosemary's... Uh, five most haunted locations around the United States. We just talked about the Hillsview Nursing Home near Pittsburgh. Let's uh, uh, move over to one that I'm quite familiar with. I think we've talked about this one over the, a number of times over the years, uh, Rosemary, and that's the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, when were you there last, and, and what happened? I was last there um, in June last year. I've been there five times. It uh, as an investigator, it ranks at the top of my list. Uh, Waverly is a place that I can go back to again and again and again with great excitement and anticipation because something different happens every time. It, uh, it's within the same parameter of things, but uh, I have seen a partial and full-bodied apparitions there. I've done spirit releasement work there of um, stuck souls who have approached me and asked me for help. I've had both uh, recorded and real-time EVP, uh, photographs of shadowy figures uh, in the hallways. I've seen quite a few shadow people there, um, small creatures that I call the little gray scurrying things because I don't quite know what they are, uh, entities from another dimension, I think. They don't look like any earthly animals. And all of these things can happen in a single night at Waverly. And a sanatorium, again, uh, for those, uh, you know, this was a bygone era. Um, uh, this would be uh, people that were suffering from uh, infectious diseases like tuberculosis and this sort of thing that would be housed there? Yes, it was originally built to treat tuberculosis victims. Uh, there was a, a very bad epidemic in the early 20th century, which was worldwide. And this huge facility was built outside of Louisville um, as a place where people could um, catch the fresh breezes, um, which were considered to be very therapeutic. Uh, Unfortunately, penicillin hadn't hadn't been discovered at that time, and thousands of people died, and a lot of people died at Waverly, and I think some of them are stuck there. I really do. And a lot of them have uh, left themselves behind as residual hauntings or imprints, you know, just sort of memories. And uh, But here again, we have a place of intense emotion, you know, people dying every day, uh, people who are ill with an illness that they fear is going to be fatal, staff desperately trying to help them. 
families who are in despair and some of some of whom literally abandoned their family members because they didn't want to contract the illness themselves. It also was for a time a nursing home in um, the 1960s and was shut down by the state of, of Kentucky for abuses to its patients. You know, they were uh, not properly clothed and fed. They were subjected to uh, abusive treatment, to electroshock therapy. So once again, we have this mix of suffering and intense negative emotion, and um, it, it literally uh, is embedded in this place. And Waverly is a huge facility. What is it now, uh, Waverly Hills? What, what do they do there now? It's privately owned, and the, um, the people who own it have been gradually restoring it. They've been, most of the windows, for example, are broken out, and um, there was quite a bit of debris there. When I, when I first went there about five or six years ago, it was in much worse shape. Uh, so a lot of it's been cleaned up, but they, um, they have a plan to turn part of it into a bed and breakfast. Oh, my. Which I think is a very strange idea uh, that part of the facility would be turned into a bed and breakfast, and then the rest of it would be left in this kind of semi-ruined state. So I guess you could, you know... <laughs> investigate and then go straight to your room, I guess. I, <laughs> well, I, I suppose for people that are, that are uh, you know, such as yourself, that are interested in this uh, and that it wouldn't be uh, frightened, uh, you know, I'm sure they, would be, they could be uh, sort of part of a, a ghost tour across the United States. Uh, uh, in fact, there's a hotel not too far from uh, Toronto, north of here, uh, that um, it, in fact, it looks like the uh, the um, the Adams family house. In fact, I think it was modeled after that. It was used in films and so forth. And and it's a uh, it's a hotel, but it's haunted, and people go to stay and in hopes that they'll have some sort of an experience. Um, but but uh, um, I would I would hope that they would certainly make people aware of uh, of the past before you know of the the reputation this place has before people actually go and stay there. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to the next uh, the next uh, hot spot in terms of ghost activity, and uh, is that the uh, the Stanley Hotel in, in Estes, Colorado? One of my favorites, yes. Uh, and uh, this also at one time uh, was a place where convalescing tuberculosis people uh, patients went, and uh, there were some deaths that took place there. Of course, any hotel is going to have its share of accidents and and. Uh, um, people dying uh, when they go there. It was originally built in the late 19th century as a luxury place. It was only open during the summer. You had to be pretty wealthy to make the trek there into the Rocky Mountains. Um, it's pretty isolated, and, uh, is it not? It's isolated. It is isolated. It's, it's a good long drive from Denver, and uh, it's a beautiful setting. They're very high up in the Rockies, about 8,000 feet up, and it's quite spectacular. It's a grand hotel, you know, the old-style um, hotel with, you know, fine burnished woods and um, elegantly appointed rooms and, you know, a lot of period uh, atmosphere and decor. Is this... It has a lot of ghostly activity in it, and I have been there uh, three times on all-night investigations, um, and I have had um, apparitional experiences, a lot of EVPs, Strange moving lights on the property, um, what I would call moving orbs. And I'm not an orb fan. I think most photographs with orbs in them are explainable. 
but there seems to be um, myst- a phenomenon of mystery lights that act intelligently. Uh, they seem to be very aware of people and very responsive to people, and I've seen those on the property as well and inside the hotel. Yeah. And uh, there have been shadowy figures, uh, a lot of apparitions of adults and children, probably imprints of people who stayed and worked there. Is the Stanley Hotel the same hotel that was used in the uh, the movie The Shining? It is, yes. And in fact, Stephen King got his inspiration for The Shining when he stayed once at the Stanley. Uh, apparently, he had a, a ghostly experience himself, and it gave him the idea to uh, set uh, The Shining in this grand hotel. Now, the very little of the uh, original movie was shot there. Um, and uh, when the movie was remade a few years ago, they uh, they did more with the original hotel. Do you ever have a sense, as you wander the halls of the Stanley Hotel, that, that certain parts of it are just too dark, too foreboding, uh, and, and even Rosemary Ellen Guiley says, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take a pass. I won't walk down that corridor. Or I mean, Is there any place you fear to tread? Uh, there are many places that sort of give me the willies and uh, that I don't like to be in by myself. Uh, now, it's a family that's definitely down in the basement. The uh, staff quarters um, are uh, accessed by tunnels that are literally carved out of the bedrock that the hotel rests on. And this bedrock is full of magnetite and quartz, uh, which are um, properties associated with highly haunted areas. There seems to be something about, um, uh, you know, magnetic fields in in, uh, the soil that influence or intensify haunting activity. And many of the staff people report seeing apparitions in these uh, carved-out tunnels all the time. They definitely have kind of a creepy feel to them. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, a paranormal investigator. We count down the top five haunted locations around the United States. Uh, let's move on to the, uh, it's the Virginia, the West Virginia Penitentiary in, uh, in Moundsville, West Virginia. Tell me about uh, West Virginia Penitentiary. Well, I've been there twice, and I'm going again in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited about it. Um, it's um, an extremely active prison. It was renowned during its day for being one of the bloodiest, most violent uh, prisons in America. So we have here again the the uh, history of intense emotion, uh, death, accidents. You know, prisoners killed each other or committed suicide there. Um, it's now a historical. Uh, property. It's owned by the state, and they conduct a lot of tours there, and they allow paranormal groups to uh, to come in. Now, one of the things uh, about the penitentiary was it was extremely overcrowded, and so this increased the level of tension uh, in, in this place, and uh, it was poorly supervised. It was overcrowded and understaffed, so a lot of things went on there. I have uh, had some phenomenal EVP, real-time EVP there, including one of the strangest clips I've ever gotten in years of paranormal investigating, where something invisible seemed to be uh, playing with with our equipment, you know, kind of uh, unplugging wires and turning volume knobs down and things like that. 
And uh, when I I asked, uh, you know, who was doing that? Is that you messing around with our equipment? Uh, what came over the box were not words or an answer, but uh, a very long stretch of Twilight Zone theme music. And uh, it, it was just kind of uh, like a trickster element to it. Uh, yes, we are messing around with your equipment and you're in the Twilight Zone. Um, mind you, you know, you, you don't get music on these radio sweet boxes because they rush past stations so fast that all you get are little snippets, you know, a word or two words or a note or two of music, if the station is playing music, you don't get a 10 or 15 second stretch of, of uh, music. And for that to, to come back immediately as the answer to, to my question, it just seemed a little too odd to be a strange coincidence. I would think that the uh, you're going to get a, a, a certainly a different quality of ghost at a at a penitentiary than you would say at a nursing home or at a, at a hotel or even a sanatorium because obviously most of the people that uh, uh, that uh, end uh, end up dying in prison uh, aside from the the guards of course but uh, you're talking about uh, you know murderers and and, and rapists and, and and people that would die by the hangman's noose not nice people so on the other side I'm guessing they would be equally uh, equally evil well it certainly seems that the uh, haunting phenomena is edgier at a place like Moundsville in a place like Waverly or Hillview Manor uh, there's more of a a sadness you know overwhelming sadness and um, you know people who lost hope and, and that sort of thing you know tragedy Whereas in a prison, there's this violent edge to um, to a lot of the phenomena. You know, you can go into a room and, and set up your equipment and ask to communicate with someone. And we, at, at one location in Moundsville, we had uh, a violent banging on the wall of the cell that we were in in response to that. No, no other communication, just a violent banging, which would be more characteristic of that kind of um, you know, energy present at uh, at a prison. When you see a full blown apparition of a, of a ghost, do they uh, appear to you as they did at the moment of death? For example, if you saw an apparition at the um, West Virginia Penitentiary and it was someone who who died at the gallows, would they, for example, have the noose around their neck? Would they have a sort of a the burn mark around the neck? I have not seen anything like that, but I have talked to investigators who have, um, and at a variety of prisons, too, where they have uh, seen um, apparitions of people, uh, like right before their execution, or uh, I'm thinking like of, of the uh, old Carbondale prison in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, where a number of prisoners were hung, and there are many reports there uh, of visitors who see these apparitions with nooses around their neck or, um, you know, marks uh, around somebody's neck as though that's what happened to them. Uh, some of the apparitions that I've seen are, are more like what they might have been wearing um, at the time that they were in that place, like hospital clothing um, or uh, at um, Moundsville and also at another uh, prison, uh, which is another one of my favorites, the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio, uh, I've seen apparitions of staff people 
And, uh, you know, like uh, officers and administrators, and they're in uniforms. They're in ghostly uniforms. And um, so you, you just never know what you're going to experience. Now, one of the things that they have at, at Moundsville is uh, they have old Sparkies set up on display because many prisoners were electrocuted there. And um, what they did with prisoners, uh, which seems very cruel, uh, but this was the treatment of the time, on your final night, you were moved into a cell uh, where you had to look at old Sparky all night right, right. and contemplate your end. And as you can imagine, that particular corner is uh, quite haunted. The, yeah, the mental anguish uh, must have been absolutely unfathomable. Listen, we'll take one f- a quick time out, come back, and uh, one final haunted location, remember, uh, to, uh, remains as we count down Rosemary Ellen Guiley's uh, top five haunted locations in the United States. Here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is here, and we're counting down her hot spots for ghost activity across the U.S. Let's do a recap here uh, for those just joining us. We have the the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. We have the Hillview, uh, the uh, Hillview Nursing Home in uh, Pittsburgh. The Stanley Hotel in Estes, Colorado, and the West Virginia Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia. So the final spot on our ghostly tour, Rosemary, is? Um, the Ohio State Reformatory in uh, Mansfield, Ohio. Uh, actually, it's kind of tied with Eastern State Penitentiary, my book, in, in Philadelphia. Uh, and it's... It, you probably noticed on the on the list there's a preponderance of prisons and, and sanatoriums and caretaking institutions. Right, right. And these are places that, by the nature of their history and the activities that, that took place on the premises, they generate these intense, unhappy, negative, emotional states for prolonged periods that just seem to uh, last as haunting phenomena. So, unfortunately, paranormal investigators trade on tragedy in order to do a lot of research. So this reformatory would have been uh, housing uh, wayward uh, uh, boys and girls that were too young for the the actual adult penal system? Uh, Well, um, there were a a lot of young people, young males at the uh, reformatory, and um, this is another structure um, that was built in the late 19th century, and it's made out of granite. It's huge. It's even bigger than Waverly. And um, it was intended to rehabilitate young men, you know, boys, you know, teenagers, and and that sort of thing. Um, A lot of violence went on there. Uh, The fact that it's made out of granite, which has been associated with... um, high levels of haunted activity and makes it an ideal battery. That's interesting. Just keep a lot of things alive. Now, it's, um, I mentioned that it's big. It's like more than 250,000 square feet. My word. Absolutely enormous facility. And the people who are movie <clears throat> buffs um, may remember seeing it 
in films like The Shawshank Redemption. Ah, yes. Uh, quite, a, quite a bit of filming was done there. Very bleak. It's, um, the uh, Mansfield facility is uh, not in very good shape. Um, there's, uh, you know, as, as you can imagine, once these places are shut down, it's just, they fall into ruin very quickly, and it just takes an enormous amount of money to even keep them in minimal condition. It's famous for shadow people, and uh, I have seen shadow people activity there. Uh, I've gotten some uh, remarkable, very clear EVPs, even in the basement where solitary confinement was. Now, a lot of these prisons had, again, what would be inhumane uh, treatment areas where unruly prisoners would be subjected to very abusive conditions. And um, the Ohio State Reformatory was no exception. It had a hot room that was um, next to the furnaces or boilers, and uh, people were put in there for prolonged periods of time in um, these tiny little cell-like rooms where the temperature would just be extremely uncomfortably hot. Did you have a particular encounter with a uh, a young ghost uh, at the uh, the the reformatory there in Ohio? Well, I got some interesting EVPs from uh, from male voices that were very excited with the opportunity just just to talk to someone. Um, didn't get any names. Sometimes it's very difficult to get names. Uh, they want to say a few things and and then you know drop out. Um, but they seem to be just very happy that someone was willing to listen to them. What I did see in terms of apparitions, uh, I saw a woman apparition, and when I described what I saw to one of the uh, regular guides there, he said that it, it, uh, I had described the wife of the warden. Ah. And they had their families living on the premises. Sure. Uh, and that her ghost had been seen by other people. Um, I saw a phantom cat, and there were cats kept there as pets. Now, when I, I saw these apparitions, I did not know those things. I did not know that uh, the families of the staff actually lived there, and they kept their pets there, and, and their children were there. So that was um, a, an interesting corroboration for me that, uh, that I was picking up something genuinely present. Uh, one of the hazards of doing paranormal investigation is, of course, you want to have experiences. And um, you're in dimly lit rooms, and you have to guard against, uh, you know, tricks of the eye and fatigue and that sort of thing, wishful thinking even. Um, I, I would rather have no experience at all than, than try and project experiences. So when I have something that I can validate against, other people's uh, accounts and also what's been historically documented, um, that makes the evidence more solid. Rosemary, always appreciate uh, your, uh, your time, and uh, thank you for t- counting down the, uh, the top five uh, haunted locations in the United States. Let's do a quick recap again. We have the, uh, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, the Stanley Hotel in Estes, Colorado, the West Virginia Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia, and the, uh, the last one was the, uh, the Ohio Reformatory? Uh, the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield. There you go. All right, Rosemary. Until we speak again, thank you and uh, good night. Good night, Richard. Bye-bye. All right, that, uh, that music 
Danny Elfman's uh, haunting strains from Edward Scissorhand can only mean one thing. It's time to uh, wind things down here and uh, uh, turn down the lights. Uh, but before we do, we'll uh, thank Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Nils Hamron, and Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief for stopping by. Thanks to Dan Ellison. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.